Bocas del Toro, Panama. A secluded seaside hideaway. Scott Makeda has no idea that his tropical haven is about to become his personal hell. He literally said, I have the power of Satan. A serial killer pretending to be a therapist. Holbert rents a room and that's where he set up his business as a fake shrink. Accusations of a gringo mafia. Gun running, drugs. A slaughtered family. And then he goes back and he plants another bullet. A killer on tape. Hey man, I'm guilty. Everybody knows I'm a monster. The law of the jungle is simple. Survive. From Treefort Media and Village Roadshow Entertainment Group, this is Natural Selection, Scott versus Wild Bill. I'm your host, Candace DeLong. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts. If we fought and you knocked me out, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time with you afterwards. <laughs> no what offense. About, but what about, what about if I blessed you and your family? Let's say you never had a million dollars in your pocket before, but I'm finna bless you with this fight. And you never got this out. Nobody else ever gave you this opportunity. And I'm blessing you. <laughs> and, and we fight and I knock you out. How do you feel now? I feel like that's a psychopathic thing to say, Deontay. You, you, you're like, I knocked you out. I didn't knock you out. I blessed you and your family. That is cold. That is so cold. You walk into a ring, you're like, don't worry. I'm just going to bless you and your family and your grandkids, everybody from the hometown you're from. They're all going to get the blessings of this right. <laughs> So, hey, Jordan, I was, uh, you know, looking across some news articles and I I found one. It's called The Great, Great Realignment. And I, I sent it on to you and I thought it had some really kind of surprising, surprise me, headlines about what's what's happening. You know, one of them is, believe it or not, Republicans are becoming more working class and a little more multiracial. Democrats are becoming more elite and a little more white. I mean, th those two things kind of shocked me. You know, my father, who was a Democrat all of his life, used to say, uh, I'm for the Democrats because they're for the working man and the Republicans are for the rich. And I take a look at this and <laughs> you got Republicans becoming more working class and a little more multiracial and Democrats becoming more elite and a little more white, which is goes against the kind of things my father used to say. I, I you read it. I was wondering what you thought about this. Yeah, this is a, this is an Axios article that you sent there. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm curious. I never know how much weight to put in uh, uh, discussions of this about how the demographics keep changing. I do think there's often a lot of effort put into who's going to win what based on what demogra demographics get uh, uh, eaten up by the parties. I, I I guess I read this and I. I'm confused. I, I don't know as far as the Republican Party goes. There's going to be shifting. It's going to happen after uh, any kind of election. I don't know what is drawing people to the Republican Party right now. Not to be overly cynical, but let me let me be that. Okay. I, I don't know what they are offering to attract voters. I, I don't see a lot of solutions coming from there. I do think it is a yeah. party that that loves its grievances. And so when I see and hear about there being shifts in demographics, what I see is sort of a grievance shift. And it, I think it is cynicism in it of itself that pulls people over there. So I, I don't really know what to make of it completely. I think some of this is always what, what you're going to hear that, yes, liberals are going, to, like the, the elites are heading more towards liberals. Sure. I think 70% of Republican voters, they say right now, don't believe Joe Biden's an elected president. So I I kind of think, yeah, the the people reading books, they they tend to head left. I that doesn't shock me at all. Yeah, you know, the only thing is is that something that I've been talking about on this for a while and, and of course in all the media for quite a long time. And that is the you know, the progressives uh and their priorities are not the priorities of the bulk of the traditional democratic voter. Uh, here's what I got. There's a couple things else in this article is interesting. What, break those down. What, what do you think? Because I, I, when I hear that, we, we have this argument all the time. I do yeah. think 
when you look at these, you do have to look at the the depressed progressives versus conservatives. Progressive Party is a big tent. You have uh, you have many different. It's, yeah. it's a di- diverse party in a way that it it's it's not going to speak as one clear voice in the way the conservatives uh, often do. So I do think no, just let's from separate it a little bit. The, let's let's, just from let's the talk about Republicans. There's a difference sure. between a right wing sort of Republican and a conservative Republican. Just mm-hmm. like there's a difference between a leftist, a hardcore progressive versus, you know, a traditional liberal mm-hmm. or moderate Democrat. I, I, you know, so I've been saying it's it's the extremes on both sides. Do, do, would you, I think we, we got into this a little bit in our last podcast though. Don't you think the Republican party is being defined by its farther right ideas right now? I mean, I do think that 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 that's 70% of Republicans don't believe Joe Biden is president. Yeah, that's, a, I, that's a damning statistic that to me, is emblematic of a party that's been hijacked by the far right. Well, except that's not the way the public sees it. That's why that's Republicans the, that's the are going to win. I, I think they say that is the public, though. That, that That's not those, those No, what power. I'm saying is the public doesn't kind of look at it that way. You know, just for example, Hispanic voters here, there's an article about they're far less likely to support defunding the police. Um, and uh, far less likely to believe racism is built in our society. Um, they have sort of traditional values. Some of it's based on faith, and that's there's a thing called the God gap, which affects, um, you know, people who don't who are totally secular. They they can have values that are not consistent with those people who are. Mm-hmm. I think to some degree, Jordan, that people tend to look at this whole these polling as they like Trump or they don't think Biden's one or all that. That's that that I mean, I'm like with you, I can't hardly believe those numbers. But what's really mattering to people today is the economy. You know, my gas prices are too high. Uh, I can't afford to go to the grocery store. But I will say this to you, Jordan. I really mean this. Part of the problem Republicans are going to have is if they win the majority. What is their agenda? I think you're right. I mean, I do okay. think have, but, having, but, to def- having to defend the status quo has always been an unpopular position. I think it was a little bit of a a, a, a miracle from the Trump administration is like he was able to get in charge of the government and still run against it at the same time, yeah. which is a heck of a magic trick. So, you know, the, the problem that Republicans will have is what is their agenda? And what the Democrats have to worry about, in my opinion, is that most Democrats are not in favor of of uh, getting rid of the police. Most Democrats are not. They, they, they believe there ought to be a border. They I, believe I, that, but they're drowned out by the left the same way that most Republicans are drowned out by the loud Trumpers. That's I, I my I, view. I, I disagree with you in the the usage of the word the same way, because I do think, I think the majority of the point of view of the 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 conservative party right now is that of the extreme right. And I do think there is a lot of moderation out there. I don't disagree with you on that. I think when we talk about things like we talk about defund the police, but I think you and I know the realities of that. Nobody's talking about defunding the police. Oh, I no, they a, are. That's, they, that, no, they that, that's that's you know what? That, that's a marketing issue. I think when mm. people talk about defund the police, that is a slogan that says we need to reappropriate the funds that we spend on police departments and put more into mental health. That's what people are actually talking about. I think it's it's bad faith for us to come up here and say like, well, the extremes are bad on both sides. No, I would say on one side, uh, Jordan, Jordan, Jordan. But here, it, no, but go ahead. Governor I'm, Kasich, I'm listening. The, I'm the listening. extreme, the extreme on the right. Yeah, <laughs> the extreme on the right is literally talking about uh, separation of church or state being bad. They uh, right now there's 18 uh, right wing uh, House reps who voted against Finland coming into NATO. They're siding with Russia. There's an extreme right there on the far left. What are we really talking about? Defund the police? And you actually see what they're they're standing for? They're talking about putting money into mental health. Green New Deal, is that an extremist point of view? You might disagree with putting that much money into the environment, but I feel like the extremists on the left are trying to save the world, and the extremists on the right are, are selfishly trying to burn it down. Okay. And, if all that was true, then the Republicans weren't going to sweep the victory this fall, and they are. Uh, they're going to win the House. I think okay? it's marketing. I think it's a marketing situation. Okay. I think but but right- no, but let me also tell you, look, look at San Francisco, Jordan. They threw out the uh, the prosecutor in San Francisco. He wouldn't he wouldn't prosecute crimes. I mean, they threw out the school board because they thought the school board was extreme. This is in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. 
that, you know, there are people on the left who do want to defund the police. They just want to cut their budgets. They want to eliminate them. It exists. Listen, that's not true. But you you know, that's the, 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 no, the but you the, have to also know the way, the way you're you're too smart for this, Governor, the, the way you're talking about defunding the police as if as if they're going to completely do that, as opposed to rearrange where money is that, spent. That's and not, you that's know, not, you know, that's the politics of it is when Jordan, you, you suddenly you I'm suddenly trying paint to tell it you as they're taking they're taking the, there's going to be no police in Jordan, these towns. I'm sorry. Those some of those hardcore people on the left, they want to eliminate cash bail. They don't they want to they don't want to process. If somebody breaks into your house, they don't want to charge them with it. They say it's a property crime. If somebody's breaking into your house, I'm not going to prosecute them. I mean, people hear this and they don't agree with it. So when I'm I mean, here one of the things that I, I wanted to say to you is I'm sort of a postpartisan guy for some reason. I can take a look at what's happening in the Republican Party. I can criticize it, and I can also have a good, healthy look at the Democratic Party, and I can say where I think they're out of whack. I think one of the problems that we get into is when we, and I listen to what you're saying here about, I'm, you know, about where the bulk of the Republican Party is. The bulk of the Republican Party does not believe that Joe Biden's not president. I'm sorry, that's just not the case. They're not saying it. Yeah, yeah, they are. A lot of them are saying it. Come on, well, Governor, well, you know okay, that's look. Let me give you let me give you the perfect example in the state of Georgia, where where the, the governor was reelected overwhelmingly. The secretary of state was elected overwhelmingly in the state of Ohio. Mike DeWine, the governor, couldn't have been touched by anybody. And so, what I'm saying to you is, yeah, there is examples of extremists, just like there's examples of the extremists on the Democratic side. And but I I know you don't you don't see that. And that's that's, you know, just a fundamental disagreement. But it's some and it's not just marketing. It's not a marketing issue. People know what they're paying at the gas pump. People know if they don't feel safe. That's not a marketing issue. They see it and they don't like it. And that's what I'm I'm trying to say. The problem Republicans are going to have is what are you going to do about prescription drug costs? I don't I don't hear them saying anything. What are you going to really do about getting the spending under control. I don't I don't hear any plan for what they want to do. What exactly is your plan on the border? And I think we're going to have somebody that's going to come on and talk about immigration. And I will tell you that there's a chunk of Democrats that believe in the open border. They don't think we should have any border control. That's called extremist on the left. And that doesn't work. That's out of touch with Americans. That's not where most Democrats are. I, and I, it's I, I, that's what that's I'm trying what, to say. I, I hear you on that. I don't think that's where most of the conversation of the Democratic Party is. I, I I understand that there are extremes to both of those sides. I I think it's it's a false equivalency to say that they're both extremists and pulling it in that way. I think they're working at different things. I do think you are right. There's a consequence to being in power, and I think you have to have solutions. And what I see is a Democratic Party that's having a hard time coming up with the right solutions, but I don't know what the right has to fix things like high gas. Yeah. Uh, we have a little boxing match happening here, Governor. I like this. We're well, going toe to toe. Yeah, yeah, I, I do. But I, you know, the one thing that I want to be I was careful of is no, I no. Making... I know you are, but the one thing <laughs> I want to be careful of is, you know, people hear this stuff all the time. They, they, you know, they turn on television. They, they listen to you know stuff, and it, and it's just too much politics. What I hope we can do is to sort of take some of these things and calmly, kind of look at them. You know, like from afar, as opposed to being combatants in this whole stuff and and we'll we'll have to keep working on it we have to mm -hmm. keep working on it yeah because it's it's hard to, it's hard to es to escape those things that you kind of fundamentally kind of grew up with you know and to say oh well you know what you know that's he's right i mean my folks are wrong it's hard for people to do it but that's one of the things i think we want to do find middle ground by us us you know getting rid of those extreme things and trying to figure out what solutions are I think solutions, I yeah. think hell. If we can have good yeah. conversations about solutions, uh, then we're, we're moving in the right direction. But how about this guest we have? I mean, I'm excited. Unbelievable. Guest, unbelievable. Our guest this week is the former longtime WBC heavyweight champion. He's one of boxing's biggest forces inside the ring and a polarizing personalities outside of it. And he's also recently stepped onto the mic to release his debut single, Every Time, which is available now on all streaming platforms. The legendary Bronze Bomber from Alabama himself. Deontay Wilder. Deontay, welcome. Uh, thank you guys for having me. How you doing? We're doing good. Deontay, we have to, I have to paint a picture for our audiophiles at home who are listening. You by far are coming to us from the 
the coolest situation I think I've yet to see. It looks like a spaceship. I think it might be a, I'm, I'm guessing, is this that at-home cinema that you're speaking from? Yeah, it is. You know, just this is, uh, you know, relaxation all the way. It's a definite, a full definition of relaxation. And uh, I spent a lot of, lot of time in the theaters, you know, and certain properties that I have. So, you know, it's quiet time always in here besides being in the meditation room. So, yeah, man. You also have a meditation room? You have a cinema and a meditation room at your home? Yeah, I have a um, a hidden meditation room, actually. Hidden? Why? Um, you have you have a hidden in, in your own house? Who's it hidden from? Yeah, well, you know, I, I have eight children. You know, I'm working <laughs> on four more. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, I, I just like for it to be hidden. It's just something about sacred. You know, as far as a meditation room, that's every bit of sacred, being able to meditate with visualization. Uh, a prayer room as well and you know somewhere that you come with peace i think for me um the riches of all the worlds for me you know wealth for me is having my happiness and my peace you know because you can be you can have all the riches and and the wealth in the world but if you're miserable what is it worth yeah i mean so you know uh, i enjoy being that being happy and, and and being at peace and um that's what they give me when I have a when I'm being able to escape from the world. You're speaking about solace and finding a good good headspace. Is this something that you had to evolve and come to, or is this something that even at the beginning of your career was your mindset kind of the one that you have right now? Yeah, even even in the beginning of my career, my mindset was was pretty much what it is now. It's just over the years that I've gained much more knowledge and applying it to life, and that's the only way you become wise when you apply knowledge to life. Or you'll become what we call the old fool, and I know I know a couple of the, those old fools. <laughs> but uh, you know, um, yeah, just at this point in time, it's just more of a development of the mind, being able to to be in your space and and being able to meditate. Like I said, I use meditation with visualization. You know, uh, I've been doing that for a very long time. Just having that sanity, that peace. You know, especially when your your life is so hectic. You gotta keep in mind, like I said, I have eight children and I love to death. And you know, I'm the the breadwinner of the family, you know. So I have a lot that depends on me. And I, I do a lot for not only just my family, but a lot of other families as well, you know, that um many people of the world may not know about, you know, that I do. But um but but you know, so I need certain things. But God is good though. I'm, 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 it, it brings me happiness, peace, like I said, and it keeps me smiling. Deontay, um, there's a, so many questions here. The heavyweight, ch- <laughs> the heavyweight champion of the world. I mean, that's just like unbelievable, right? So, how does a kid decide that they want to be a boxer? I mean, how does it start and? Did you always think someday I'm going to be the heavyweight champion of the world? How, how does this work? Well, I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. So with anybody know about Alabama, we know we have we, we got strong pride on football. Growing up in that environment, I always wanted to play football or basketball, you know, for the Crimson, Crimson Tide, especially football. You know, my father played basketball, so he tried to build a basketball-oriented family. You know, but I like to play all sports when I was coming up. Um, I got into all types of, of sports because I knew that school was kind of boring for me. So I knew that uh, I needed the grades to play the sport. So it was kind of give and take thing for me. I used school for to get the grades to play the sports. And I always it always panned out good for me. Um, boxing came, you know, I, I was a fan of boxing, but I never really kept up with it strongly because I'm in a state that we're mostly focused on football instead of boxing, you know, and it's, it's crazy how boxing came in into my life. I was uh, in college and I, I have a, I had a friend, we was to talk, you know, what we wanted to do in and out of life and what was the things we was trying to do to get there because talk is cheap. You can always say what you want to do, but what are, what action are you applying to get to where you, you say you want to go? And during that time, I told him that I, I had a daughter that was, that was coming. I don't think I'm gonna be able to attend college any much longer because I need to get out and get a job to support my daughter. And uh, I knew my daughter was gonna be born with spina bifida as well. So it made even more pressure for me. It made life a little bit more scarier, you know, being able to bring a child in, but also, but but then on that 
bring a child that that was going to be um, birthed with a disability, you know, and uh, it was a scary feeling. And uh, I that's when I made my mind. I told him I should start boxing. You know, he was he thought it was a great idea off the bat because, you know, I always had a reputation as well. I, I never looked for trouble, but trouble always found me. And Deontay Wilder was always a guy that knew how to put on a good show. I would just put it as that, you know. And uh, so he thought <laughs> it was a great idea just to get into boxing, just to try it out. For me, I was looking at the uh, the process of. I feel like fighters made a lot of money in the ring. You know, it was something that you can kind of get rich quick kind of thing and do it in a positive way of getting it uh, where you didn't have to go to school because I was looking like I ain't going to be able to go to school, so I can't do football no more. I, you know, I need something that can get me to the top and I can still fulfill my dream as being a professional athlete. And um, that's when um, my uh, friend had a, a coach in his class and one day he called me, like, I got this guy. He tried to get me kind of boxing. My, my friend, he, he's tall, too. The guy was just looking at his size. He was like, but he's not a, he's not a fighter. You know, he's a, more of a lover. But I'm a lover and a fighter. And I, was, I had the love for my child, and I was looking to how I could take care of her. So in short, long story short, I, I met up with this trainer. I went to the gym in Tuscaloosa, and I walked up in there. And it was like, when I walked up in them doors, it's like I heard heavenly bells say, hallelujah, hallelujah. I can hear the bells. I can see this, you know, it was something that I wasn't used to. I, I never seen a gym, a boxing gym a day in my life. It was, it was like so surprising to my eyes to, to be in the city all this time and never really see, you know, so much other things that's, that's unfolding before my eyes like boxing. So, you know, I fell in love with it instantly. I walked up to my trainer. My trainer, I was like probably, I was maybe uh, 185 pounds coming in. And um, I told my trainer, I like, I want to box. This is what I want to do. And I'm like the hundreds kid that he didn't seen come in and thinking that this is what they want to do, but they don't really know what they're getting into, you know? And uh, he said, it's mine. He was thinking, he was like the basketball course down the street, you know, but uh, he didn't know that I was a determined young man that was, uh, I had something um, that I was fighting for and that desperately needed me and I needed this, you know, and um, that's how it all started out. I mean, that is, it's wild. One, it's, it's, it's very unusual to get into boxing that late. You're what, you're 20 at the time? 21? Yeah, I got into it at 21. Got into it at 21. It's very, considered very late. I, I got into it at 21, made the Olympics team and medaled all in a year and a half. A year and a half. And you're saying, and you're doing this partially because... You're, you're making a, a conscious decision. You need to provide for your daughter and you need to make money fast and you yes. get into a, a very dangerous sport. How, how quickly are you able to start making money starting a sport that early? Are you able to turn it around uh, <laughs> within well, a year, within two years to start to, I mean, to, to put food on your table? It's the crazy thing about it, my career. You know, I, we all, me and my, my, my trainer, my longtime trainer, Jay Deeds, uh, we had a uh, we had a game plan on how we wanted my career to go, and if we if we did it right, that it would gain me all the riches in the world. You know, it'll make me a wealthy man in the end. You know, and uh, we planned it out and how it would go. We didn't, you know, being from a small city, that boxing you don't really find up in that city. You know, we didn't we didn't know so many people, but we knew that if we kept winning that we'll be able to meet the certain people that we need to meet to take us to the next level. So the game plan was to train hard and just keep winning. And um, that's what we did. Cause we, we was, we came into this thing, not knowing what's going on. All I knew I had a, a plan, I had a goal and I believed what I said. Like I said, I speak it, believe it, and I received it. And, and we went on from golden gloves to nationals, to state nationals, to Olympics trials and to making the Olympics. They still, to this day, I always say that Deontay Wilder came out of nowhere because they already had the Olympics team, all the lists that they wanted for the team and stuff. And I, I'm a wild card. I just came out of nowhere and beat all the guys that was in front of me and made the Olympics team and then went on the medal. I was the only Olympian to, uh, from the United States to medal in that Olympics in 2008, you know, just coming out of nowhere. And then I went on um, into 2008 to start my career shortly after the Olympics and start making money for my daughter, you know? So 
then further on, then become a champion to 2015. Then my life changed again. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. You know, is when you look at your life or the life of other great boxers, um, are you born a boxer? Or is it training that makes you a great boxer? Or how how does that work? Is it both? I mean, I, I, I'm, a born, I'm born a warrior. Okay. I'm born a warrior. And uh, when you have a, when you're a warrior and you have a warrior spirit, anything is possible. You know, you're not, you're not willing so easily to give up or give in on things when things get tough and get hard, because a lot of things got harder in my life. You know, being a young man, raising a a daughter that has spina bifida, you know, it was certain things you could and couldn't do certain things that, you know, uh, uh, man, I had to sacrifice so much, but uh, being able to go through so much and, and then come out at the end of the tunnel, you know, with with everything we set planned, it happened. You know, it's it's amazing to see. It just let me know that you know I was, I had a reason. I had a I had a purpose to to be a fighter, and it's not only just in the ring that we just consider ourselves a fighter. It's also outside of the things that what you do on the outside that makes you a fighter and makes you a winner as well. Because all of us, not just me, but all you guys as well, we have so many people that look up to us. Even when we don't even think nobody is looking at paying attention, they are. And when they see that you're fighting for what you believe in and, and, and to, to make yourself a better person, a human being, because I, I tell everyone, we all have greatness in us, but greatness is only determined by service. And when they see that, that's a motivation for them. So I think I'm a born fighter. You got to be born. You got to be a born fighter to end into the business of boxing. I tell you <laughs> that, that, that's do it. I'm curious about that because I do think – I was watching some of your earlier fights, and you are a man on a mission. My Lord. Uh, <laughs> I was <laughs> – Jordan, I was, I was, it's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. It? <laughs> I, I, I could barely watch it yet. I'm like, wow, okay. That's, that's what it takes. Like, <laughs> as somebody who's early 20s, you know, going into the field of comedy, <laughs> you know, you have to have confidence to get on stage. You're a warrior, but you're also, George, I'm a warrior, too. Thank you yes. very much, Governor. Yes. Thank you very much. <laughs> but I walk out on that stage. You have to be a confident person to walk on that stage. But I'm also riddled with self-doubt and anxiety. <laughs> and I imagine self-doubt can get you get you injured quick in in, in a boxing ring. Like, did, oh, you, did you see that? Did you see people who had... Had the potential, had the physical capabilities, but their their mind was wasn't where it needed to be, and and that second of self doubt was the thing you had to capitalize on. Uh, most definitely, you see it all the time. You see it all the time. You know, you get a lot of you know, you get a lot of guys that uh come off the street because in boxing, you know, let's let's face this is nothing that a child with a silver spoon get themselves into. You know, this ain't something that somebody that have fear that get into the game, the, the, the business of boxing. You got to really love this. You got to really love getting hit in the head, you know? And the doctors will tell you, you know, uh, the head is not meant to be hit in the, your, your head is not meant to be hit in the first place. So just imagine going 36 rounds, I mean, 36 minutes, that's 12 rounds, you know, uh, three minutes uh, <laughs> of, uh, of each round, you know, just... <laughs> Headshots and different things. Body you are shots. A, you're a walking health hazard, Deontay. That's what you are. You are you are the embodiment of cancer. You just move through spaces, taking people out. That's 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 the power right there. So you you're aware, but you're fully aware of the dangers of that as you're going into it. And and does that make you just have to double down? Does that make you? I mean, I, th- I think I don't know. I just imagine what's going through your head. And and having a family is both inspiring, but also it, it could be crippling if you think too much about that. The uh, in the ring or. Is that something you have present with you? Almost, uh, I mean, it's all every every individual is different. Or how they come in and how they how they use what what brings them in it, you know, or or whether they in it for themselves or whether they in it for someone else. For me, I was for my my daughter, so you know that was all the motivation I need to carry on and to take me to the next step that I needed to get to. You know, everybody have a different reason of coming in and what hypes them and motivates them to to step inside that uh, ring on the night of that fight and compete. Because, uh, you know, you definitely, it's, it's, I've seen so many different things where guys will come in and, you know, they can look good in training, but get in a fight. They look like they never trained a day in their life. 
or something like that. Because when you're at the fight, when you're training is one thing, but when you actually like, here it is, it's time for the fight. And you know, some guys get intimidated of the lights, the fans, you know, the intensity of the fight, you know, want to be able to continue to remember what they've learned in training and to make it a muscle memory. So when you get into the fight, it's no thinking. You want to do less thinking in, in the fight. And uh, you want to be more doing, you want it to be more muscle memory. So when you see something, you're able to react instead of thinking about it and then reacting, and then it's too late. You know, it's a lot of things that you have to worry about when it, when it comes to stepping in that, in that ring. You know, you got to understand that we're using everything, our mind, our, our body, eyes, every, everything is, is going and it's, it's functioning at one time. So you got to, you know, it, it can be a scary feeling at times, but when you, when you understand uh, certain things and, and know how to maneuver and work your way around the ring, it becomes a lot of fun. You know, um, it becomes a lot of fun. Then it becomes challenging. You know, you want to see, you know, what you're going to do with this fighter, uh, uh, how many rounds you can get this guy out of, or how many rounds you can get some work, what you need. It's so many different things, you know. I, that's why I love the business of boxing, and when you have so many different the fighters that come all over, it's a world sport, and that's what makes it even more interesting that you compete with guys all over the world. I never, I never would have, without boxing, I never would have experienced my first country. And, um, and, going out if it wasn't for boxing, being able to compete with guys all over the world that had a goal and a dream just like me, you know, to 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 get into something that make a, lot, a hell of a lot of money and be able to support his family beyond their belief. You know, uh, when you think, Deontay, about the trilogy, right? You know what I mean by the trilogy. Uh-huh. You and uh, and Tyson Fury, I mean, they, they say that uh, at least one of those fights may have been the greatest heavyweight match in the history of boxing. Um, when you knew you were going to fight this guy and you fought him three times. Okay. Uh, how do you get, how do you, how do you get ready for that? I mean, so you're in the locker room, then you come out and there's all the fans and, and you know what you're going to walk into. How, how do you do that? You guys knew that it was, that there was a war coming. Yeah. What's the mindset? How did you how do you do with deal with that? I mean, in 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 the business of boxing, the terminology is either kill or be killed. And you have to have that mindset going in because again, I pointed out a a a a, a very important thing. The head is not meant to be hit in the first place. So one little jab can can damage you. Two jabs in the right hand can get you out of there. A right hand with me can, can you know, you, you, I would put people in seizures and, and, and broke certain things. So it's it's not meant to, you know, the, the business of boxing is, 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 is nothing to be played with, you know. But when you can do it and you're capable of doing it and you understand the rules behind it and the danger that comes with it, it allows you to prepare for certain things. And I I'm a born warrior. I'm a born king, a born leader. So it's not hard for me to get in that mentality of, of a warrior mindset. Now I'm going to get ready to go into battle. Either you have it or you don't. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm so thankful that I'm able to, to switch it on and off, being able to go into combat mode and to, go, and to switch off and just to be regular me. Because you need something to be able to motivate you and to switch that switch on and say, now it's time to go to war. We, we, this is life and death. We got to go. We got to get it. Because others are coming to the, you know, while we're being able to risk our lives you know, for the others' entertainment. You know, others come and watch. They want to see. They want to see knockout. They want to see someone get hurt and get knocked out, you know. And, um, and, and, and boxing, it, 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 it allowed people to have such a thrill. And, uh, and Fury so and culture. and Deontay, so Fury, Tyson Fury retired because he said you hit him so hard that he knew that he couldn't continue to do it. Do you guys have a relationship? Do you have? I'm sure you have respect. Do you have a friendship with somebody like a Tyson Fury? How how does that work now for you? No, I don't. I don't have a friendship with him um, at all. Sometimes. You know, as you're growing up in in, in 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 the boxing world, 
you don't really have too many friends that you compete against and stuff. Um, a lot of guys don't. A lot of guys think that the closer you get to a fighter, the lesser you'll perform when you have to fight him because you mm-hmm. got to understand there's still a, a, a competition. Right. And, you know, and a lot of guys don't want to have that feeling like, oh my God, it's my brother. I got to fight my brother because I had to fight my brother one time before. I, um, before I fought for a world title, I, Malik Scott, Malik Scott, which is which is uh, one of my trainers now, and I'm um, a head trainer, and uh, I had to fight him for an elimination to fight for the belt, and we was tight. It's like my brother, you know, but we, I had to give him that talk. I like, bro, you know, we finna get ready to fight. I got to go in camp with you. This is going to be my last day talking to you until after the fight. I can't talk to you no more, you know, and uh, we got to do what we got to do. We got to hurt each other in the ring to get to the next step, but I love you. And I see you after the fight is over. And he agreed, and we ended that conversation. The next thing you know, at the camp, we had to fight. I ended up knocking him out, but it just brought us even closer with a relationship. It's just something about fighting and the relationship that you had, it can either bring you farther apart or it can bring you even much closer, you know? And certain guys that I fought, it brought me closer, a closer relationship with them. And certain guys I fought, it, 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 it you know, it made them more angrier or, or it brought the relationship even further than it was. So it's kind of, it's weird and tricky how certain things can be. It's really just all up on the, the fighter and how they Deont- feel about that person. Deontay, if we fought and you knocked me out, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't, I wouldn't spend a whole lot of time with you afterwards. <laughs> No what offense, about, but what about what about if I blessed you and your family? Let's say you never had a million dollars in your pocket before, but I'm finna bless you with this fight, and you never got this out. Nobody else ever gave you this opportunity, and I'm blessing you. And <laughs> and we fight, and I knock you out. How do you feel now? I feel like that's a psychopathic thing to say, Deontay. You you you're like I knocked you out. I didn't knock you out. I blessed you and your family. That is cold. That is so <laughs> cold. You walk into a ring and like, don't worry. I'm just gonna bless you and your family and your grandkids. Everybody from the hometown you're from. They're all gonna get the blessings of this right. <laughs> hey, but, I would. But, I appreciate. I appreciate the offer for the blessings. That's very kind of you. Um, you know what? We're we're gonna we're gonna shop around to see if there's other denominations that uh. That that fit the fam a little more. Yeah, man. <laughs> hey, you know they say they say they say everything has a price on it, right? That that is very true. You know, here, here's the thing. I, I'm curious. Um, how how much is you know? There's boxing the sport, but there's also boxing as entertainment. And mm-hmm. and you are you are a performer. You're not only an athlete, but you are a performer. You're an entity. You're a business unto yourself. Yes. Uh, how much of that is something you think about? Like Ali in and of himself, uh, the the attitudes that he had, uh, the performance that he had uh, outside of the ring was part of the the draw to to him outside of just uh, what he could do inside of it. Is that yeah. something you consciously craft, are aware of, um, and 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 how, how do you take that in? Well, I'm a, um, I always consider myself a renaissance man. You know, it's nothing that I feel that I can't do. You know, especially putting my mind to my mother gave me a uh, poster. Uh, I think I was around by the age of 10 or 11. And um, that poster had a bear running a relay race and uh, had a bent down on his head and it was and it and it ran across the flag. It broke the flag and it won the race. And the, the, the writing on it said, you don't know what you can do until you try. And that stuck with me forever. Even still to this day, I remember, I think about that poster. I don't know what I can do until I try, you know, and that resonated to me is like when you put your mind to something and you focus on it, no matter what naysayers say, no matter uh, what, you know, hurdles come in your, in your way, that just mean you're in the right place at the right time because anything that worth fighting for, it's, it's not going to be hard. It's not going to be easy getting there. It's going to be hard, but you want it to be hard because if it gets too easy for you, something some ain't right. It ain't going to last too long, but when you have to fight for something and you have to really fight for it, you know you're fighting for it for a reason, and it's here to stay. So when you overcome that and you can raise your hand in the air and you say, V-I-C-T-O-R was mine, it's a great feeling, you know, and um, that's what that's... <laughs> 
<laughs> I gotta say, I, I'm jealous of your mom. Your mom saw it. Uh, my mom gave me an Ace Ventura poster. So that's what I was looking at. <laughs> I was looking at Jim Carrey that's talking out of his anus. Out. It was cool. It was cool. Although I'm, I'm sitting here talking from a small little room. You're sitting here talking from a cinema in your chalet. So uh, I don't know. I think He'll bless I, you if you find him. I don't He'll bless you. No blessings. <laughs> Deontay. When they I, that whole series uh, PBS on Le, I don't know if you happen to watch it, um, but one of the things it said in there is he he lost the fights where he did not train. So I want to go back to training because I know you were born, you say, a, a, you know, a natural warrior, but you but the training matters. So you're out there, you do your road work. I mean, what is it like to train and be in? How much of the time do you have to be in shape? How do you train for a, a big fight? Who trains you? How do you know when you've had enough and you don't push yourself beyond what you need to be in that ready stage? Right, right. Those are all great questions. And and uh, everyone uh, everyone has their own thing um, that they train for and what they seek. All different trainers have different styles, different ways of thinking, of training. You know how many ways there is to throw a jab? There's over a million ways to throw a jab. And, you know, right hand, leave it up to certain people in the game that call experts. You know, I always say, I always say, you know, uh, uh, boxing is uh, is only a team sport after, uh, on the outside, but it's an eye in team when you get inside of the ring. You know, and when that, with that being said, you know, uh, my trainers, I think it's very important to to have a, uh, a, a connection, uh, some line of communication with the people that's training you. It's very important to have some type of connection because y'all can have a rhythm, y'all can have a groove. That person know you and you know that person. So with that communication line of communication, you're never overtraining. That trainer know how to push you and he know the limitation of what your body and, and what you can take to push you just enough to which you can get what you need so you can heal and, and then you can recover as well because recovery is one of the most biggest things, you know, into training, the recovery, because we, we're pounding and pounding and putting so much up, up on our body at times, more times than we know it. And then, um, so it's a lot How of How much time do you not- need to recover? So let's say you're going to go and, and fight for the title. And so you're training, training, training. And then how much time do you take off before the fight and do you train a little bit more up to the fight? How, what's the sequence? I mean, once you get into it, once you agree, when you have the agreements of uh, when and where the fight's going to be, you have that, that press conference, this is the fight. Now you start to get into official count and you don't break count. You know, uh, most time it takes me eight weeks to get in whatever I need to get okay. in shape, whatever I need to know. It takes me about eight weeks. Sometimes it takes up the fight a little longer because they're looking to uh, lose or gain weight. In the heavyweight division, we don't have to be, uh, we don't have to uh, gain weight once we're over. Once we're over the two or one range, we're heavyweight. I think certain things has changed now, um, but um, as a heavyweight, we don't really have to lose weight. We are what we are. But certain guys like to get in certain type of shape, you know, when that comes in and and and. and it's just all it's, it's so many different ways of what guys are doing. And eight weeks for me, that's that's grinding, not breaking camp, uh, getting up every morning. I get up around by six, six or seven, eat a nice breakfast, then go on and um, uh, lift weights in the morning, doing all my my different cardio things. And then we may get a rest in between that, get a little lunch in us, and then I go on to my boxing the boxing gym and I do boxing workout and stuff like that. And then sometimes we may come back at night. If it's a sparring day, uh, we are spar, you know, sometimes sparring can be every day. Sometimes sparring can be every other day, depending on the sparring partners and depending on how I feel as a person, because I'm I, most time I have four to four, I have three to four sparring partners at a time that's in and each one of it is changing back and forth on me. And I'm the only one that has to fight all the guys, you know, and um, sometimes that can be a wear and tear on the body as well. And you just have to know over time, you, you, you know how to handle your body and you know the routine of what it takes to, uh, to train and get ready for a major fight. You know, unfortunately for me, you know, I'm no stranger to it. 
And um, I just know the routines and the steps of it uh, once you get there. So that's how you figure things out, you know, being around and, 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 and the development of your camp and the people that you come in because it's always changing. You know, sometimes you may have guys that, that don't fit your style of y'all. Y'all don't, you know, things have changed. You know, things always change in the business of boxing, you know, as well. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a very interesting business to be in. But if you're able to maneuver around certain things and able to do the business, it can make a poor man rich and it can make a rich man poor. It's all about how you target this, how, how you target the, the, the business. We'll be right back. And now back to the show. I'm curious about the culture around it. I've, I've, I've gone to a, a handful of uh, boxing matches um, and, and some big ones. And it's, it's fascinating sitting in the crowd, especially with the undercards, where you have a, a decent amount of the audience who may not have a, a working familiarity with some of the boxers there. And people identify with the boxers in the ring and you pick the person you're rooting for and they're fighting for you in that moment. And it's, it's really compelling as an audience member to connect with someone like that. Uh, but it's also really interesting how people find the boxers that they connect to. And I think there's a lot of identity and there's a lot of nationalism. I was surprised that like an Irish fighter came up and suddenly I'm in Madison Square Garden and I see this group of Irish dudes over there getting way into things over there. And it's like, oh, clearly there's some there's some some hometown pride going on. But you can also start to see like factions and tribalism happening within an audience. And it gets really revved up because boxing is an intense sport. And I, I wonder... Being there in the ring, being heated like that, how much, like, you're representing America when you're going abroad, like, longest run of an American heavyweight champion in in the longest time, I know. And so I I wonder how much of that you're aware of. Uh, Is that, uh, do you find, is do you sense hatred in the audience? Is is racism still at play when you're playing abroad? Is it here at home? Like, how how is the audience at a a boxing match um, from your perspective? I mean, from uh, from from my perspective, you know, uh, when they come to see me fight, I, you know, you get it all. You get it all. You know, you get your lovers, you get your haters, you get, you know, you you, you, you racism is everywhere. You know, I mean, that'll never die out uh, uh, until we do something strongly about it. You know, as human beings, but uh, most of the time in my fights, people are very excited. You know, at the end of the day, you know, when it's all said and done, because it's a very emotional sport the business of boxing is, and especially if someone clings to you and, and calls you their fighter, you know, they all in for you. You know, I have fans that say they're roll, rolling with me until the wheels fall off. And, um, and you know, you get a lot of fans that, you know, they love you so much that any, anything someone negative say about it, they, they're ready to go. They get rowdy, you know what I mean? It's an emotional sport. It's like watching a relative inside of the ring and you can't help them fight, but, you know, and it'll make you be like this on the outside, like, because you just, the anticipation and the emotions, you know, whether you getting hit or you you giving a punch, you know, all that, you know, is translating outside of the ring, and um, it becomes such a, a, a emotional thing, a, such an emotional wave that goes throughout the arena, and um, it can, as a fighter, it can take you, it can startle you a little bit if you're not focused and on the task that lies at hand, it can take you, and the crowds, sometimes guys get intimidated by the crowds or sometimes they get intimidated by, like I said, the lights and the big, the, 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 the overwhelming feeling of the, the, the fans and the electricity, the electricity in there. It's so much that comes at you that you got to have a focus. For me, you know, although I know a lot of things that go on, but when I come out of the tunnel, I try to stay as focused as possible. You know, I have a ton of vision just like inside of the ring. I have a ton of vision in, uh, exiting outside of the tunnel to enter into the ring because I don't want to be overwhelmed or excited or my mindset lose what I need to do at the game at, at hand because I have screaming fans. I have electrifying energy in the in the arena or certain things that can take you off of that focus. So uh, all that, but all that just come with practice, though. It come with uh, experience. Um, being able to practice going out there. And um, once you're, you're successful multiples of times of doing it, you kind of get the, get the grasp of certain things. And uh, as it goes on, it don't surprises you or cap or motivate you as much as it used to when it was brand new to you. And, uh, and it's a beautiful thing, though. It's an it's a, it's amazing feeling to see hundreds of thousands of people 
in the audience, in the ring, right there for you, ruin you on. You can feel the energy, the electrified energy that's in the, the ring. You can feel the energy. <laughs> you know, when they shout your name or saying anything, you know, I remember I was fighting uh, a guy by the name of Arthur Spuka at uh, the uh, Barclays Center, and you had all the Polish come out. Uh, it was a big community of Polish at, uh, at, at, in New York, at the bar, at, in Brooklyn. And um, to hear them, they, oh, they, uh, they was chanting their country name and stuff like that. You could feel the wind of the breath of people. You know what I mean? That's when you know it's real. Like, oh, my. Especially when I, I felt that same energy when I was in Russia. And they would say, you can feel the wave of in the wind. And I was like, and that could start you a little Deontay, bit. Deontay, you are, I'm going to tell you something. You are blowing us away here. You are, <laughs> you are, you are, Deontay, um, I've been friends with, privileged to be friends with Arnold Schwarzenegger for many, many years. And I'm sitting here listening to you about the challenge, about the dream, about the champion, about, did you know him? Do you, do you understand that you guys and the way you think and talk, there's tremendous similarity. Mm. I never met him before. I never met him before at all. I'm a, I'm a fan of him for sure, but I never met him. Yeah, it's the same. How old, it's, Arnold, how old is Arnold at this time? In his 60s. Well, he's, he'd be 71 or 72. Wow. But, you know, he he just doesn't have any fear, and he's yeah. focused, and and he has a dream, and I'm going to do that. And, yeah. you know, and, and no matter what he does, whether it's acting or whether it was bodybuilding or whether it was politics, he just... It's just, it sounds, I was just sitting here, I'd be, I'm just amazing uh, to listen to you. Um, when's the time to quit? When do you, when do you say, because look, I'm worried about you. Muhammad Ali, right? He gets Parkinson's, they say, because too many head blows, I guess. Right. When, tell us about, that's what Jordan and I want to understand. I mean, how do you know when to give it up? How do you avoid these serious injuries that, you carry for the rest of your life. Well, you know, with fighters, you know when you know. You know, it's hard to 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 ask a fighter when when is when is it when you putting up your glove, because our mentality always feel like we got we got another round in us, we got another yeah. fight in us, we got another. You know, what I mean, it's our, and it's just like when you love doing something, you never want to stop. You never, especially when you at a top, at a top level and you're making millions of dollars. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's yeah. kinda, you know, yeah. it, it's it kind of hard to like when when you know, and you and when especially when you're young and you're active and you do so. There always a question: When are you able to stop? But only a smart man knows when they're able to stop. Only a man that have invested his money, have done the right things in his career, can really know and say, "Hey, I can give it up and don't have to come back no more." Most of the time, you guys, mostly, uh, it's really 90, 90, not say 95, but really 97 at 98% of fighters doesn't, don't have nothing to show for after the, after the business is over for. They only have things to show for while they're in, in, while they're active in, in the business. And, and I find it sad that, you know, we as fighters don't have nothing to show for after, after the business is over with. And the only reason I find that is because it's an individual, it's an individual business. This is not a team's business. You know, you gotta you gotta have everything, you gotta have everything on your own. Uh, anything that you need, health insurance, you wanna learn how to do 401ks or, or, or financially invest and stuff, you gotta, as a fighter, you have we have to go seek these things for ourselves. It's not, it don't come to us. We have to go discover and find everything on our own, you know. And sometimes, you know, as fighters, you know, you see most fighters come out of rural areas. They don't really know, you know, this business mindset or what's going on. All they know is I need money, I need it fast to support my family or whatever I need going on. That's why a lot of these guys get into bad deals. They sign bad deals with promoters that's notorious for, hey, I'm gonna give you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you. I'm gonna make you ten million. But I'm gonna take twenty. You know. And the guys looking to the situation is like, I need money, and we know he's gonna get me. But let's see what I got to sign. You know, there's so many different things. And and and. But if you a man that have done the right things and had a plan and been able to take that money and invest that money, it's easy to retire. 
And that's what I have done, you know, and I could smile and say that when I took a mission to, to dictate my own career, to take hold of my own career, it allowed me to, to be able to expand my brand, my mindset of, of direction of what I wanted to do in my career. And as me and my trainer always had a game plan with starting out, it's a great feeling to be able to execute that game plan. And now, you know, I have multiple investments. I'm, I'm big in the real estate and, uh, and, and, and different things that I have blooming, you know, blossoming and blooming for my family for generation wealth. Uh, I have a, a, a great uh, a financial firm by the name of Lifelines Financial Group that does amazing and building my wealth and, 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 and investing and stuff like that. And uh, I'm very proud of that because I always try to mentor other fighters to get them in a business mentality of doing things and not, and I always think this can't be forever. This is a young man's sport. So you got to know what you got to, you got to know ahead. I'm a guy that plans ahead. I tell my children that they're blessed because not only do I think about their, their current situation and plan for them now, I plan for their future as well, you know, and um, that's what I've done. And it's been amazing. So if ever I have to get into boxing, it's not because I, I have to, but only because I want to, because of the, the love that I have for it and the meaning that's behind it, that people look at me. I'm, I'm a symbolization of hope, hope. I'm a symbolization, uh, a, a, a piece of being able to, if you want it, you believe it, you can achieve it and receive it. And, and I, you know, and you may see a Wilder, you know, coming back in there, giving out his love and uh, his his energy to people. And his that, blessings. That, and his blessings. You know, his careful. Blessings. That's right. Careful with those <laughs> blessings. You need to be very careful doling those out. <laughs> Deontay, you, you, you released uh, a single. You're getting into music now. You've just released yeah. a single a month and a half. Uh, I'm curious about that. I'm curious, is... What are the chances? Are we going to see what's coming next? Is it a is it an album or is there a fight coming up? What 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 do we bet on? Which one are we going to see first? Uh, what we will see first, we'll probably see a music video. So I'm working on that. I probably release that in September, and um, to do that, and um, because it's it's been amazing uh, with the music, just getting into it. Me and my brother, you know, we've always been musically inclined and in tune with music, but. Uh, many don't know that I was, I'm a PK, so I'm a pastor's kid, you know, so we grew up on a, a very religious family and certain things we couldn't, couldn't do and listen to rap and R&B and any type of getting in the groove and moving, baby. That's a no, no. You know, my dad didn't believe in that and he didn't play with that. You know, I remember one time my sister would listen to Aaliyah rock the boat and he heard it one time. He said, girl, if you don't get that off your ear, rock the boat, rock the boat. I'm going to rock your boat. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we just couldn't listen to certain things if it wasn't talking about yeah. God or gospel and stuff like that. You know, it was a time that we didn't miss church in 10 years. You know, he was very religious and into it. So with that being said, we had a blockage on certain things we had access to and what we did because we was a representation of our father. So what we do and, and how we act out in public and stuff, it would a representation would fall on my father. You know, no pastor or preacher would want to want to look shameful you know, on their children. So as we became older, we started venturing out and stuff, especially in the music, because I was, I'm so passionate about it. I think I did it the right way. I'm able to, I'm not like I'm getting into this thing as a starving artist. You know, I have, I have my own money. I can support myself very well into the music. So I don't need certain help or certain things when they do something. And I, you know, I have, I know that I know the right people to maneuver around in it and what I need to do as well. So that's kind of a blessing for me as well to have so much advantages. If I really, really want to take this serious, um, it's many things that I can do with it. And that's what we look because I'm not just the artist, I'm a producer, you know, I'm a songwriter, I'm a singer, I make beats as well. You know, I really get in the backstages of things of, of, of just not just being an artist, but just getting in the whole grasp of the music industry as it, you know, it's become a, a, a fun thing to me um, yeah, to do, but, and, but we're going to do the music video and then you'll probably see before another song, you'll probably see me back in the ring. Well, back. Deontay, you're going to have Jordan and me right there ringside. I hope. I mean, we Come need on, to be your special guests. 
Why not? We'll be your special guests. I mean, we'll come out of the locker room with you. We'll wear capes if we have to, whatever, <laughs> whatever it takes. I mean, I got to say, that's what, yeah. That would you, be really fun. You know, I, you know, I know Mayweather brought, you know, Bieber out here. I think like what you need is a satirical comedian and a governor walking yeah, that alongside would be so, you. So what an entourage. That's what an entourage. Yeah. That would be it right there. Deontay, who are the, in, I mean, I've got. A bunch of other things. I want to ask you about Buster Douglas. I want to talk about the health of the sport versus UFC. But let me ask you, the greatest of all time at any in any weight level that who you would put up there besides yourself and maybe Tyson. Who would be the who would be the best? Well, you know, I, I've always been a uh, big Muhammad Ali fan. You know, that's been uh, always my icon and uh, a big motivation for me in the in the, in the sport of boxing. Um, not only for what he's done inside of the ring, but what he was able to do on the outside as well. And um, I also, you know, far as the business side of being a fighter and and, and transferring to a businessman, I also look up to Larry Holmes and that that's that in mm. that reference to that as well because he done very 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 well with his money outside of the ring, and that's what I look forward to, and that's what I'm. That's what I'm doing as well, you know, and uh, it's just amazing feeling to be able to be established inside the ring and also established on the outside, you know, and uh, depending on the fight, you you know, I make more money outside the ring than inside. A lot of people want to know. So I'm very blessed to be in the situation that I'm in and I'm, I take very much pride in it. You know, I'm really a true example of what it takes. If you put your mind to it and you believe in yourself, you can do it. And then, I, you know, I got a statue as well. I got a sanctioned statue. In I my, saw my that. Movie. I saw the picture of that. That, uh, that, that, I mean, what else more do you need? You got a statue uh, of yours. They don't give, sta- they, don't, they don't give statues to living people. Oh, I've asked, goodness. trust me, I petitioned the city. They, they won't even get back to me. So you, you're doing something right. Oh man. You know, it's so many, so many things that I do outside of the ring as a fighter that, that people don't know. Because when I do events for, for the for for unfortunate people, I really dig deep and try to get people that really unfortunate to have certain things or do certain things. And I'm the type of person that I don't I don't I don't tend to have media there or anybody to to put these people out there, you know. And one lady asked me, "Why you don't have no media or uh, nobody here?" And I pulled her to the side because I had other people in our conversation, and I pulled her to the side and I told her, I said, "Ma'am." I said, I know what I've done for you. You know what I've done and God know what I've done today for you and your family. And for me, that's all I need. And then I told her, I said, and besides, I don't want to put you on camera when you're down. I want you when you're up. I want you when you're excited, when you got, you're thriving and your life is amazing. I don't want to put you on camera and expose you to millions you know, uh, on a social media that I've helped you out in your downtime. Let me help you out when you're up, you know? And she uh, loved the fact that I came, that point of view that I came up with that. She smiled so heavily and she hugged me. She told me, thank, thank, she thanked me for that. And that's, I do so many different things, you know, uh, uh, especially with the kids. You now my heart is in it for the kids. And uh, when my city gave me that statue, it represented and symbolizes so much. You know, I had people coming from all over this from all over the states, even other countries, to come down to 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 uh to take part in the rebuilding of that statue for me. I had men break down in front of me, you know, um, to show their sons what a true champion, what a real man, a, a really real symbolization of hope and peace. And you know, if you put your mind to it, you can you can do anything in this world, no matter what, especially with the history of where the statue is and, and this, the state that we're in. We're talking about the heart of Dixie now. We're talking about in an area where Blacks were prohibited to even come unless they was working in the houses there. Where the Klan used to meet and up the street, they sold slaves. So they put a Black warrior right by the Black warrior river. And man, you're talking about you know, drenched with tears after the governor uh, you know, describes me because me and the governor are good friends. We used to play basketball back in the day all the time at the YMCA. And, um, you know, he knew how hard that it took me to get to this point, how much dedication and pride and, 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 and my willingness to to provide for others, how, how, you know, willing I was to do that. And then for him to describe and break down so much things I've done, it's just I, 
I couldn't believe it. I'm still in shock that my city sanctioned a, tro- a statue. But this ain't nothing like a federation or organization buying something and putting it on their property like I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to buy, uh, you know, I'm going to get another statue made. I'm going to put it on my property. But this is something that was sanctioned by the, by the state of Alabama, you know. It, it had to go through four, you know, it went four years through a process and three, and it took three years for us to put it up. But that three years was all determined on me. It wasn't, I'm an energy type of person. You know, I didn't, I didn't feel like it was time to be put up. Although it was finished, I didn't, I didn't want it to be up yet because I wasn't in it for the clout or, hey, 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 I got a statue kind of, it wasn't me. You know, I'm an energy person and, and certain things, I do things on timing and it didn't feel like the timing. But this year, it felt like the time to do it, and we did it, and it was amazing. And uh, I'm forever grateful, you know, just the meaning. I know the ultimate meaning behind that statue and what it means and what I even experienced for myself from others to come in and to experience with me. And even in my children, to see my children, to be able to indulge in them with this statue and to see my children jump around like, my daddy, my daddy. That's a blessing because I'm still young. I'm not old, I'm not retired, I'm not, you know, not all the things that you usually see people are in a situation when they're receiving a, a, a statue. I can still go and visit and be with my kids and enjoy and tell them about certain things and still go on. They allow my, everything that I've done, you know, in life, they're, they're, for me, I look like they put it all in stone within a statue for me. And that means everything for me. And I, like I told my children, when the inevitable finds me, because it will, it's going to find all of us one day. So we got to prepare. That's why everyone has greatness in them, but greatness is only determined by service. So we must apply each and every day to get great results. And I told my children, when the inevitable finds me, y'all going to have my ashes, you're going to have my will, and you're going to have that old statue sitting out there. Anytime y'all get ready <laughs> to come and talk <laughs> or whatever, you know, so... I'm very honored and pleased to have that statue. Uh, I don't know no father within the 20 years have had a statue, you know, and um, it's a big deal for me. It put me uh, above uh, the rest for sure, hands down. Wow. Well, uh, congratulations. That must be a a, a pretty amazing thing to to experience and to have there. Um, Deontay Wilder's debut single, Every Time, featuring Marcellus Wilder, is available on all streaming platforms. Deontay, thank you for talking to us. And and I'll get back to you on the blessings. Yes, <laughs> Man, it's been an honor and a pleasure. I appreciate you guys so much. Oh, well, thank you so much. Uh, and good luck. Um, if you need anybody, uh, you know, a lanky dancer for the music video, just let me know. I, I got time. <laughs> My man, hey, Deontay, I'll tell you what. You're a, you're a remarkable guy, and I'd rather you get out of that ring sooner or later because I don't okay. want any injuries. And... I mean, you just, you're a very inspiring guy, and I think our listeners are going to love this, and um, thank you for taking the time to do it. We we enjoyed it. And we're waiting, we're, we are waiting, if you do one more fight, uh, Jordan and I will come, we will sit there ringside, okay. and we'll cheer for you, and if you need it, we'll, we'll, we'll jump in the ring and help you out. I All mean, right. we, whatever you want. <laughs> Sometimes you need that hip in here, you know, so I'm going to take your word. Yeah, you never know. You never know. (laughs) Hey, everybody. Jordan here, uh, your favorite host of the Kasich Klepper podcast. Thank you for listening this far. If you like what you hear, click like or thumbs up or whatever icon signifies a positive reaction. We love your ratings. We love your thoughts. Reach out to us on social media. Let us know what you want us to talk about because I'm tired of answering the governor's questions and I just prefer to answer yours. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. Kasich and Klepper is a production of Treefort Media, hosted and executive produced by John Kasich and Jordan Klepper. Treefort Media's executive producers are Kelly Garner, Lisa Ammerman, and Matthew Kugler. Line producers, Oscar Guido. Associate producer, Lee Albanese. Audio direction by Tom Monahan, head of audio for Treefort, with production and editing by Maxwell Carney. Sound editing by Abigail Sullivan. Talent booking by Blythe Asher. With additional production help from Tim Schauer, Haley Mandelberg, Lindsay Whistler, Colin Motel, and Anastasia Ibrahim. This podcast is powered by ACAST.